Well, it is great to see you guys uh, here today. It is such a privilege to be your pastor. I was, I was gone uh, all week long, spoke five times at a conference up in Idaho at Coeur d'Alene. And uh, let me just say, it is awesome to be back in Santa Cruz again. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Can I hear an amen? But uh, hey, you just heard the band Cloverton. If you're thinking to yourself, Hey, they, they sound like I, I might have heard them on the radio. You probably have because they've been on the radio a lot and they're in concert here. It's going to be a great concert. I am bringing my 15-year-old son and my 81-year-old mother, and they've got something for everything in between. And my mom who's sitting over there probably doesn't like that I just told you how old she is, so just forget that part. But, um, but I hope you can check this out. That's tonight at, at uh, 7 o'clock. Right now, uh, grab your message notes from the inside of your bulletins that they stay still on the top, and we're going to wrap up our four-week series on being still and knowing that He is God. And as you get those out, uh, you know, one of my favorite stories in the history of Twin Lakes Church is a story I kind of like to retell every two or three years here because I just love it, and it's the story of how we replaced those pews that you are sitting in right now. When we remodeled this building several years ago, we decided, you know, we really ought to replace the, the wooden pews that were breaking down and, and put in those nice pews that, that are more cushioned that you're sitting in right now. They're so beautiful. And, and I just figured the old pews were so old and so broken that, that we would just toss them. And uh, Leonard Duick, our business manager, said, you know what, let's do something greener than that, obviously. And uh, let's put them on Craigslist or something and see if somebody wants, you know, enough pews to seat 1,500 people. Uh, that are all old and, and broken. It could be that we could find somebody. Well, guess you, Craigslist is amazing because we post this on Craigslist, free pews for 1,500 people, broken but available to a good home. The next day, we get a call. And somebody calls up in this thickly Russian-accented voice. Like, literally, like the most stereotypical Russian accent you've ever heard. And we go, yeah, Twin Lakes Church... But we are calling about pews. What? Pews, pews. We are wanting pews from church. And we figured out that this was uh, the pastor of a big church, as big as this church in Sacramento. I had no idea that Sacramento was such a center of Russian immigration. But there's a big evangelical church there that uh, moved in, into a new building. They needed pews. They said they had handy guys that could fix these things up. And, <clears throat> pardon me, we said... You guys can come in and get these pews. If you, if you take them, they're yours. So next week, they show up with a couple of flatbed trucks. And these people are like out of central casting Hollywood for like Russian stereotypes. I mean, I kid you not. They show up. They got these thick necks, big rounded shoulders, you know, big old Popeye forearms, hairy. And those were the women. Just kidding. They were all guys. They were all guys. But they had these great accents. I don't know where they were from. I see Connie down here who just got back from the Ukraine. Just escaped what was going on in Kiev. Isn't it great to have Connie Fortunato back? But, uh, but you know, you hear these kind of accents over there. We've heard them watching the Olympics from Russia. And some, some Russians have kind of a light, sort of a European accent. And some speak very, very thickly, like this kind of a cartoon character. And that was all these guys that were coming to get the pews. And so I, I was spending every moment I could in this room 
kind of pretending to help them, but really it was so I could listen to them talk. And I just kept, to advance the conversation, I kept asking them stupid questions. You know, like, did, have, did you ever know anyone in the KGB, you know? <laughs> no, we are not all being KGB. You are a stupid man, you know? <laughs> Say that again, because it was so awesome to hear. It got to the point I couldn't think of anything to talk about anymore, so I actually would write things down on pieces of paper and just write down these words, and I would say, can you just say, can you, could you just read this? Could you read this? We must get that moose, Natasha. What is this? <laughs> say it again, you know. True story. So I'm hanging around with these guys, and they're getting the fuse, and slowly it dawns on me, they're never going to be able to finish this during the day. They're, it's going to be a two-day job because there's a, there's, a, there's a big building. And so I said, well, do, you, do you guys have a hotel or something to stay in or a motel? Can we put you up overnight? They said, no, we are not needing no hotel. When we are getting tired, we are putting pews together in shape of, how you say, casket? Casket? Da, casket, casket. In shape of casket. And we are sleeping in pews. Sleeping in pews. And I thought to myself, I see that every weekend. And then, <laughs> then out loud I said, well, but you know what? It's warm here in Santa Cruz during the day, but it can get really cold at night, so I can go home and get you blankets so you can, you can stay warm overnight. And they said, no, we are not needing no blankets. When we are getting cold in middle of night to get warm, we are getting up and working to get warm. And then they started dancing. Work, work on the Volga. No, they didn't really dance. That's, that part's not true. But the whole rest of the story's true. And as I leave that day uh, from talking to them, it suddenly strikes me as I'm walking out those doors, what I, the conversation I just heard is like a metaphor for what the spiritual life can become for many Christians. Where the pews that used to be life-giving turn into caskets. And your faith grows dead. And when you feel your heart growing cold, the only solution that you know is to just get up and work harder. But that's not exactly the biblical answer. And we really need to talk about this today. I know because I've been there. And I know because some of you have told me you're there right now. Where you feel like your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Like, I used to have fun praying. Where you come and worship and you remember, I used to just worship God with joy and tears streaming down my face. And now I worship and there's just no feeling anymore. I'm numb. We need to talk about this because the Bible talks about it. We're in this series called Still and we're going to wrap this up by talking about finding God when I'm dry. This whole series has been about being still and knowing that he is God. It's been about biblical meditation, but sometimes you don't feel like meditating. Sometimes you feel like the author of Psalm 42 and 43, which originally was probably one psalm together, two halves of the same psalm. And he wrote nearly 3,000 years ago, 
these words that sound as current as today. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? And then in various verses, he goes on to say, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how how I used to go to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng, but now my soul is downcast within me. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Spiritual drought. It feels like physical drought in many ways, a lot like the physical drought that we're in right now. Check these pictures out. This is Pinecrest Lake right now. All the floating docks have turned into sidewalks. Boats are aground in dusty lakes all over the state. This boat resurfaced after years submerged. And I don't know about you, but my morning routine has now become an obsession. Every morning, I get out of bed, make a cup of coffee, then the first thing I do after that is check the internet weather forecast. No rain. Not today, not tomorrow, not the day after that. Chance of rain, 0%. Chance of rain, 0%. Chance of rain, 0%. Maybe now they're saying Wednesday or Thursday. February is like the new June. I mean, I love all the sunshine, believe me, but even I'm starting to get worried. And you feel this mounting sense of anxiety, like what if it never rains again? And I hope that we are all praying. But that sense of of anxiety over, over a dryness that's totally out of your control is a great picture of the, the feeling that is going on spiritually in Psalm 42 and 43. Because, listen, drought is part of life in California, right? This is not the first drought we've ever been in, and this won't be the last drought that we will ever be in, right? We're a state with regular seasons of drought. And so, like all the experts tell us, we need to do everything we can to prepare and to live drought aware, and if we don't, then the consequences can be disastrous. Well, the same exact thing is true of spiritual drought. And that's why this morning I want to talk to you about a condition that will come on you. It's just a part of life. Spiritual drought's a part of life as much as physical drought is a part of life in California. It's going to happen. But if you don't know how to deal with it, it gets worse, and the consequences can be disastrous. And so you need to know this. First, the condition. Verse 1, the writer says, so evocative, great imagery. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. 
I was reading a blog about one of the recent Western wildfires, and the blogger took these pics, said a whole herd of deer came into their neighborhood, and they were literally panting. This is what it looks like when a deer pants for water. They were dragging along, looking miserable. Why? They followed their familiar stream. They went to their familiar stream, and it was just mud because the fire had dried it all out. And no matter how far they followed that stream, all the way down into this neighborhood, there was no water. And the psalmist is saying, I feel like that. Only I'm the deer, and the dry creek is God. And what used to satisfy me, there's nothing there. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where, where, when can I go and meet with God? Where did God go? And then he kind of switches metaphors, and he says, when it does rain, it drowns me. Lord, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. And it's interesting because this is typical of drought years too, isn't it? It's dry, and it's dry, and it's dry, and it's dry, and then when suddenly it rains, what happens? Flash flood. It's too warm for snowpack up in the mountains, and it just all comes down the mountain, and you get inundated, and weird things happen. Somebody sent me an article in the Sitka, Alaska Gazette with these pictures. Headline, went fishing, caught deer. A man named Tom Sart, who runs a deep-sea ocean charter fishing boat, says, we were out on the sea when we spotted four black-tailed deer swimming directly for the boat. Once they reached us, they began circling the boat, distressed. We opened up the back gate and helped these typically skittish animals onto the boat. In all my years, I've never seen anything like it. They collapsed, exhausted, shivering. We had no idea how long they had been in the icy waters of the Pacific or how in the world they even got there. Once we reached land again, the older animals hobbled onto the dock, but the littlest guy needed a little more help. <laughs> Fascinating story. Because the author of this psalm is saying, yeah, here's a picture of my soul. I either feel like a panting deer or a drowning deer. And maybe those two are snapshots of your soul lately as well. You go from numb to overwhelmed. But nothing seems normal anymore. Over in verse 2 of Psalm 43, ever feel like this? God... <laughs> Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning? It's like I used to be like the happy guy, and now I'm the sad guy, and it's like it's my destiny, and there's nothing I can do about it. Why must I go about mourning? Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't believe there's a God anymore. It means he's lost the experience. He has no more taste, no more feel. The thoughts of God that used to comfort him, they don't resonate. They don't strike. It's not doing it for him anymore. It's not that he's lost his faith, but he's lost his God. And it's important to see here that there are other psalms that talk about this experience of dryness. When you've sinned, when you've done something 
wrong and you feel guilt and shame and so you've lost that association with God, that, 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 that sense of experience, you feel alienation. But if you notice, that's not happening here. It's just drought. He's done nothing wrong. It just stopped raining. Now, this is huge and very difficult in our culture because Americans, if something's wrong, I want to fix it, right? Something's wrong. I want to know the technique to get rain back. And this is why with American Christians, you know, if we experience spiritual deadness, the first thing we think is there must be something I'm not doing right, right? There must be some button, some spiritual life button that I'm not pushing here. And this is why it's so hard for us to confess to our friends, even fellow Christians at church, fellow brothers and sisters, you know, I'm just kind of feeling spiritually dead right now, if I'm really honest with you, because, because just the way our culture is, you're typically not going to just get a sympathetic ear and somebody putting their arm around your shoulder going, man, you know what, I totally relate to that. Been there. What you're typically going to get is somebody who wants to fix the problem. What? You're feeling spiritually dead? Well, have you been thanking God for your many blessings? Do you have an accountability partner? Are you doing a read through the Bible every year plan? Are you praying through it? Uh, do you have an attitude of gratitude? <laughs> Surely there will be nothing wrong if you were just doing your entire daily Christian to-do list. There must be something you are doing or not doing to feel like this. But in Psalm 42, this guy's doing nothing wrong. It's just the way it is right now for him. And see, that's part of the point. Spiritual cycles happen to everyone. They're just going to happen at times. And of course, it can happen if you have done something wrong and feel estranged from God because of your guilt, but it can also happen because you're alive. And this is important, especially, you know what, if you're a newer believer who are here, one of the things I love about Twin Lakes Church is we've always got a crowd of brand new Christians and people who aren't even Christians yet who are just here checking it out. We've got our one-on-one class in a couple of weeks and I, I know it's going to be full of people that are brand new to the faith because it always is. It amazes me. There's 50 or 60 people there every time. It's, it's such a rush for Mark and I and Val to teach that class because it's, it's so exciting to meet brand new believers. But listen, you really have to know this fact. Because if nobody tells you this, what happens is you experience your first just regular season of spiritual dryness, and you think, oh, there's something I'm doing wrong, and you can drift into legalism. I better be reading the Bible more, better be praying more, better be serving more. There's something I'm not do doing right. There's some button. Or you start not just thinking there's something I'm doing wrong. You start thinking there's something I'm believing wrong. Maybe it was all just a dream. Maybe all this Christian stuff isn't real and you start to drift away. But the fact is, it's just an inevitable season, like drought seasons in California. You, you look at the tree rings. You know, there's times of plenty and times of drought. That's just life. It's like I tell newlywed couples. I say that this feeling of rush and crush that you've got for your partner right now, believe it or not, that, that feeling will change. And that's so important. I would say, how many of you would say amen, but that might be difficult on some marriages here. So your wife's going to go, what are you, what? But, but it just is true. And what happens is if, if nobody tells you that, you get to that first time when that crush feeling subsides and you go, whoa, what just happened? Nothing that she did ever drove me crazy. And now everything she does drives me crazy. 
you're just, you're just going to go through. I tell you what, right now I'm in a cycle with my wife where I'm just entranced by her, truly. I'm just in one of those crush cycles again. I just look at her and I go, you know, this is the most spiritual and beautiful and self-sacrificing human like ever. And she, uh, Lori wrote this uh, in to my sermon uh, after she read the rough draft. Uh, no, just kidding, she didn't. But, um, but I do, I am on one of those highs right now, but listen, I know that those feelings will vary, right? That's just life. Those feelings vary in any relationship, including a relationship with God. Spiritual dry cycles happen to everybody, but if I don't take care of myself, it can get worse, right? It's like a cold that turns into pneumonia. There's no cure for the common cold. Everybody gets colds. But if you don't take care of a cold, it can turn into something much worse. It can sometimes turn into pneumonia and kill you. Sometimes I see people and I suspect that years ago, this normal sense of dryness happened and they didn't take care of themselves and it turned into something worse. So to treat it wisely, you have to know, okay, what are some of the causes of spiritual dryness? Now, these things don't have to cause this condition, but these things tend to be associated with it. First, just a garden variety disillusionment with life. Disillusionment with life. He says, people say to me all day long, where's your God? He's going through some trouble in life, and so they're taunting him, where's your God? And it wears him down. Verse 9, he says, yeah, I say to God, why have you forgotten me? Now it's not just people from the outside. He's going, yeah, yeah, where are you? Disillusionment. Like, let's say you committed your life to Jesus, and then the next two years are the worst years of your life. I've seen it happen. And you go, what just happened? You know, I, I gave my life to God. And then I got cancer, and then I, and I broke up, and, and my kids hate me. What, what just happened? Well, you never think maybe God knew that that was going to happen. And he wanted you in a relationship with him so that at least you'd have that when you went through your tough times. That's probably what is going on, but you don't think of that usually in the moment. What you usually think is, wow, I gave my life to Christ and now my life is falling apart, and you're disillusioned. And then the second cause is a drift from community, which can often follow. Check this out in verse 4. He says, I used to go with the multitude. I used to go with them to the feast. Now, stay there on the first page for just a second and resist the temptation to, to like flip it over to the next page for just a minute, because I want you to, sh to see something interesting. What does he say? I used to go with the what? The throng, or in some translations, multitude. I used to lead them in procession to the house of God. The subtitle in your Bible says that this was written by the sons of Korah. Who was Korah and who were his sons? In First Chronicles, it tells us they were the worship leaders of Israel. What Trent Smith, Dan Baker, Ryan O'Lilly, Adrian, what they do for us, leading us in worship, that's what these guys did for the, for the nation of Israel. And he's like, I used to lead worship. And where did the throng worship in ancient Israel? What city? It was in Jerusalem, right? He says, I used to lead worship. And then he says, a couple of verses later, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon. So he's not in Jerusalem anymore. Look at this. He used to go to Jerusalem for the feast. But now, watch, look at the screen. He's up in the heights of Hermon. 
120 miles north, that's the mountain range of which Mount Hermon is the peak, down in Jerusalem where the people went to worship. Now he says, I remember I used to go there. For whatever reason, he's removed from it. He's up in the Mount Hermon mountain range. He says, I will remember the festival of God. What's the festival? He's probably talking about the Passover festival when the people of God came together by the millions and remembered the great things God had done in the past. And it was motivating and it was inspiring. And Americans tend to underestimate the value of communal worship experiences. Year after year, poll after poll, it's between 80 to 90% of Americans who say, I can be a good religious person without going to church or synagogue or mosque or whatever. I don't need that. And it's true, you can worship God by yourself, but like we say around here, you can worship God in a forest, but a tree's not going to visit you in the hospital. There's a lot you can get out of the community that you're just not going to get in individual worship. You need both individual times of worship and corporate times. And he has been, he's stopping. And some of you, this is your first time back. I'm, I'm so glad you guys are back. But you've spent a lot of time up there on Mount Hermon alone. It's great to have you back with the multitude here in Jerusalem. And then the third cause is a decline physically. Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. Did you catch that? What's been his food? What does he say has been his food? My tears. What's he saying? I'm not eating. Only thing I'm eating is my tears. And then he says, my tears have been my food what? Day and what? Night. He's saying, not only am I not eating, I'm not sleeping. Listen, you're not going to be able to deal with the overall condition if you don't realize there's a physical aspect to it. This is super important. Because when somebody says, I, I just don't feel right, I, I don't feel God anymore, we have a tendency to focus only on spiritual cures. But you are not just a spiritual being, you are also physical, right? You're not a ghost. You're flesh and blood, too. And so there's physical causes often of the feeling of spiritual drought, not getting enough sleep, not eating right, uh, not having the right medication. There's all kinds of potential physical causes to a spiritual drought, and I need both. Listen, this is important because there's some people who, who will only define your spiritual drought with physical solutions. Oh, well, here, you just need to take these pills. Then there's others who will only define it as an emotional problem. You just need a psychological cure. Let me just listen and listen and listen and listen and listen to you. And there's others who listen to those first two kinds of people and go, those pill mongers, those psychology worshipers, we're Christians, so we're just going to pray through this in power. But the truth is you need all three. You need a balance. There's physical and emotional and spiritual causes to that drought. And that's very, very important. So if that's true, and if the Bible prescribes a balance, then what's the cure? Well, the first thing I want to emphasize is that drought does not go away overnight. You have to learn to value incremental rainfall, right? Every drop, you're a drop closer to the drop being cures. I have to tell you about a pet peeve of mine. We've lived here for 20 years, and I, man, it seems to me like every single time it rains, like every time, 
The next day, the Santa Cruz Sentinel has to run their standard post-rainfall bummer story. Every time. Front page, the headline's something like, Rain does not solve county's water woes. Have you noticed this? And the lead is going to read something like this. More than nine inches of rain soaked the county, downing power lines and trees and flooding roads. But the drought was not solved. No happiness allowed, right? I think we get the drought's not going to be solved by one storm. But every storm puts us a few drops of rain closer. Same thing spiritually. Don't go to, like, church one time and go, ah, my spiritual drought wasn't cured. It's one bit of rain. Value the incremental progress and know that the seasons do change bit by bit. And while you wait for the seasons to change, there's things you can do that are very productive while you wait. Four things the psalmist does. First, I need to pour out my soul. Verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. What a great example this whole psalm is of that. If I get nothing out of prayer and worship, what do I need to do? Prayer and worship. Tell God how annoying this is. Tell God how much you miss him. Pour out your soul. And then he analyzes his hopes. This is huge. I need to analyze my hope. Did you notice there's a phrase that's repeated almost word for word three times? It's in verse 5 and verse 11 and verse 5 of Psalm 43. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. This is not a rhetorical question. He's actually looking for information. He's asking his soul, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. He's realizing he's so cast down. Listen, because he is putting his hope in some things that are not God. Speaking personally, I can put my hope in things like achievement. Achievement's a rush. I can put my hope in other people's praise. I can put my hope in accomplishment. I can put my hope in my own feelings. And all those things are false hopes. Where is your hope, really? See, spiritual dryness does not necessarily indicate sin, but it might indicate false hopes. So I analyze my hope, and then I need to remember the grace of God. Verse 6, therefore I will remember, he's very deliberately thinking about something, what? By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. Check this out. The word translated steadfast love is a Hebrew word that means covenant faithfulness, unmerited favor, unconditional love. Remember, God does not love you more if you feel him more. God does not love you more if you do more. God doesn't love you more if you pray more or serve more or are more successful or anything else more. His love is based on his covenant, his promise. It's unmerited. It's unconditional. It says, his song is with me. Now, what's that all about? I want to show you something, probably my favorite commercial of the football season was one with Colin Kaepernick 
of the 49ers, of course. Uh, uh, it has to be the 49ers. But, uh, but it was a great commercial. It was for Beats headphones. And Colin Kaepernick's in the team bus, and there's fans all around him that are just screaming derogatory things. And uh, they look suspiciously like Seattle Seahawks fans, I will say. <laughs> and so how is he going to deal with everybody yelling negative things at him? We'll watch the short version of this commercial. Because that has a real spiritual analogy to it, doesn't, doesn't it? The world is all around you, too, not just Colin Kaepernick. And it's shouting all kinds of negative, anxiety-producing things. It's all hopeless. All your efforts have been for naught. God is not real. You are unqualified. You're unlovable. And if you listen to the screams, they can really get you down. So you have to hear what you want, hear what you choose, and put on, so to speak, the Beats headphones of God's Word, which has adaptive noise canceling. And when the negative noise comes, I love how he says, at night your song is with me. He's literally making the whole idea of the grace of God into a song that he's singing to himself at night when the negative noise can be the loudest. Now, you may not be a songwriter like the sons of Korah were, but you can learn these songs that we sing, and you can sing songs to yourself like, you know the song we sang earlier, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. When everything else is sinking sand, when all around my soul gives way, he, then, is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And there's other ways you can do this, too. We always try to give you the, the keys to this. We put in a weekly memory verse, the daily meditations. These are ways to put on the Beats headphones of something positive and drown out the negative noise of the world. And then finally, I need to preach to my heart. He preaches to his own heart. Notice he's not really talking to God. He's not really talking to us. He's talking to himself. Why are you downcast, my soul? At some point, you have to gra grab your heart and say, shut up and listen, heart. Once you've poured out your soul, you've remembered God's grace, you know, you've really remembered all of these things. You've analyzed your false hopes, and then you preach the gospel to your own. So that's the biggest thing I can do to help myself when I'm dry, is preach the gospel to myself. Evangelize myself. And then what's the result? When I, when I remind myself of the truth that I'm saved by God's grace, not by performance. Very realistic. He doesn't say, I have the feeling back. You know, I have hope. Put your hope in God. I do praise him. He says, no, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him. Like, I, I, I'm not there yet, but I have hope that I will once again feel like praising him as I remember this, even though the feelings aren't there right now. Now, that's great news, but this is better news. You've got a resource that he didn't have. 
You know, the biggest problem in times of dryness is you think, I think God's given up on me. God has abandoned me. And the psalmist says, no, he hasn't. But here's how you can know. You read this song, and then you listen to the one who really said, I thirst. You read this psalm, and then you listen to the voice of the the one who really said, My God, why have you forgotten me? You read this psalm, and then you watch the one who had people constantly taunting him as he was dying. Where is your God now? Don't you see? Everything that the psalmist went through, these universal human emotions, Jesus Christ went through to the nth degree on the cross. Why? So you could know he totally gets it. And so you could know he will never, ever, 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 ever leave you. And that's what God brought you here to know. It's not just the emotions of of being on a God high and praising him that God resonates with. It's these emotions, too. They're just as human, and they're just as spiritual. And he's there with you in those times. There's so much richness to be found from listening to Jesus when he's on the cross. And i got to tell you, that's why I'm so excited about this. We have put together a seven-week series leading up to Easter that starts next week. Starting next week, Easter will be seven weeks away. And so what we've done is we've written a book together as a staff called Crosswords, The Final Sayings of Christ on the Cross. It's 49 daily devotions, one for every day leading up to Easter. And there's a small group series, one for every one of the seven weeks leading up to Easter. Trent Smith, our worship pastor, and Ryan Lilly, our worship pastors over in Venue, have put together songs that you can download for free to listen to as part of that song in the night, the headphones, right, to wear against the noise of the world. The songs, the book, the small group material is all available for free starting next weekend. Don't miss it as we listen to Christ's crosswords. we got cards like this that you can hand out. I think it'll be a powerful series that'll revolutionize your spiritual life. I think it's going to just rocket your appreciation of Good Friday and Easter after seven weeks of meditating on this. We've been talking about meditating. Now let's do it on the crosswords. I'm stoked about that. But as we close right now, what I really want to do is to pray for you if you're in a spiritual drought at this time. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, first I just ask that in the coming weeks before Easter, you would just make real to us what your son did. But I especially ask that for those of us who are spiritually dry right now, that this would help fill our thirst. Most of all, help us to treat our hearts wisely when we're in the dry times so we can grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.